0: Welcome to the Northern Australia Food Futures Conference podcast. The Biennial Conference is Australia's leading event on agricultural development in the North, an area covering over half of Australia's landmass, but housing just 5% of the national population. In this podcast series, we sit down with a range of guests to explore the 2023 conference theme, Northern Myths, Realities and Opportunities. And provide a preview of the discussions that will take place at the event which attracts over 600 national and international delegates tickets for the conference held in darwin may 22 to 25 are available at foodfuturesntfarmers.org.au we look forward to seeing you there
1: My name is Martina Matzer and I'm f- doing freelance in the field of technology adoption and I live in the Northern Territory.
0: Martina, I've heard people say that Territorians have their own unique accent. You certainly have an accent, but I'm guessing it's not from the Northern Territory. Uh, no, no, it stays with you for life, your accent, I think. Yeah,
1: look, I come from Germany. I studied agricultural engineering in Germany and did my thesis on uh, the mango industry in the Northern Territory in the oh, late 80s. Yeah, and then I thought, well, I give Australia and the Northern Territory a go and here we go,
0: 33 years later, I'm still here and I call it my home. <laughs> That's amazing. So you were living and studying in Germany and you did your thesis on the mango in- industry in the Northern Territory right yes. across the world.
1: Yes now in the Northern Territory about the development of the um, industry back then it was you know very small and there's now
0: grown to a significant size. Well, I guess you're very well placed then to provide an overview of the mango industry even back from the pioneers, I guess if you were around back then. Yeah, so the mango industry really has changed a lot in the
1: last uh, 30 odd years and um, yeah, it started very small. It was mainly smaller grows a lot of smaller grows. Uh It was quite profitable only to have 100, 200 trees and now it's obviously, uh, it's changed with regards to the size of so, You know, we're having more and more bigger growers and yeah, more bigger growers, different varieties and it's a significant industry now. I remember the pioneers of the industry, Anne and Hague Arthur, very much ahead of their time, treated mango growing as a serious business, rather as a a hobby farm in
0: the backyard. So how many mangoes are actually grown in the Northern Territory? I mean, how big is the industry The Northern Territory would have more than 50% in the last couple
1: of years uh, of the national volume and changed a lot with regards to varieties. Um, There's a lot of varieties out there. One of the varieties would be the Calypsos, um, apart from the KPs that was well known and, um, it's got a very unique supply chain model. Um, obviously our KPs, our beloved KPs and, you know, R2E2s, our honey golds, which is a beautiful mango. And now there's a lot of different varieties that have been developed since. So that's, um, very much the future of the of the mangoes of mangoes will be i can see is um, increased you know increased densities um, maximizing the area we grow on maximizing the resources we have but reducing the space of you know the the space that we're using
0: so in the last couple of years over 50 percent of the mangoes produced in australia are coming from the northern territory that is incredible Yes,
1: it is. Absolutely. There's a healthy and friendly competition, obviously, between the states. But in the end, um, yeah, I think the Northern Territory might just slowly
0: gather momentum here. I think it's a bit of a, a well-kept secret in that regard. You know, you think of the Northern Territory, you think of crocodiles, you think of cattle, think of Uluru. I don't think anybody really necessarily thinks major mango producer – You've been here, you said, since the late eighties when it was a very small fledgling industry. So you've seen a lot of things happen in its entire development. So we're going to have a conversation now about the theme of the 2023 food futures conference. And that theme is Northern Australia myths, realities and opportunities. So I'm really excited to hear your perspective on this, not only just as someone who spent a lot of time in the mango industry, also someone who's been in the territory for a very long time and also somebody who's not very much not from here originally. So what are some of the myths that you think exist? I think one of –
1: one of the myths that existed um certainly uh, for me um and I stand corrected now is that um especially as a female and if you look back then in the 19 you know 1990s the northern territory had a male population of 70% only 30% females so as a female and especially with um you know coming from a different speaking background that you would have it really really hard to establish yourself uh, i think that's um uh, within within still a very male dominated Domain growing farming is still very male dominated, so that's a myth. I stand corrected because certainly, uh, yeah, I I don't regret a moment. I think with hard work and perseverance, uh, you you know you can well and truly establish yourself. And having good collaborators and collaborating and people around you that help you achieve the goals. So I I really believe that attracting workforce is actually, uh well, for us never really was an issue. I think if you invest in people and you invest in people in the right way and that's all around and you become very innovative in the way you employ people, the way you look after people, it's it's actually possible to to have a reliable workforce and on a regular basis now that's for as an as an individual farm, but um, obviously for the number of staff and and workforce required for the complete industry and with the growth of the industry, not only mango industry but the northern territory um, farming population, uh, I can see that workforce development um, in the future uh, will be very very important
0: so is that for Like the, the year-round full-time positions, or are you including seasonal workers in that as well?
1: Well, I think the mango industry is quite unique in some way, and I think that's part of it too. So we need to farm smarter. We need to ensure that we, uh, find ways of, of employing people all the way, all the whole year around. That obviously, um, helps with retention. If you only have five or six weeks, work or you know maybe three months work it always will be hard to very you compete you compete with everyone else so i think it's like if you have an integrated farming practice and you ensure that you have enough other commodities that keep your workforce or not not all of the workforce but your key people employed all year round it certainly helps and then when it comes to i mean i employed more than 150 people at a at on crunch time but we had constantly around 20 to 25 people like key positions and yeah and then it's easier to to attract the rest of the
0: workforce. I really enjoy hearing your perspective on that topic because it is something that has been coming up a lot in these episodes and just in discussions around any industry up here is how hard it is to attract and retain a workforce. And I like that you're kind of challenging that maybe, you know, it's not so much as big an issue as we're saying, we need to just be a little bit more innovative and Creative with how we are treating people and and encouraging them to stay.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's it's. Uh, I think it's a key. I think the, the the main component is that you understand what what makes people around you. Happy in what makes them tick, and obviously, if you have people from all over the world, may it be a backpacker, um, you know, from from New Caledonia, or you know, or if if would it if it is a um, a seasonal worker from Timor or Vanuatu, everyone has different backgrounds and different different needs, and I think if we find a way of of integrating that more, seeing it from their perspective rather than from our perspective, it will be easier to to uh, accommodate the need. That are there, and once
0: you accommodate someone's need, usually you have a very, very happy employee. That reminds me of, of a line of thought I hear often in the livestock industries. You know, people say, "Oh, I'm not a people person. I don't like people. That's why I work with animals." And you think, "Well, you can't actually work with animals without having to work with people." And the same, you can't be out there growing mangoes or any other type of produce. Everything relies on people. So really, you have to be a specialist in people first and foremost before you can be a specialist in whatever you're growing.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Steph. And growers are, most growers are usually introvert and that's why they're going in into that space anyway so you almost need need an extrovert person that that acknowledges that and and keeps the momentum with it and and um, takes takes that um the investment in people and i'm not talking investment uh, financial investment um really what what makes people feel good is 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 our biggest asset as a as a grower and you you will have so much loyalty we, we're we very secluded up here and we're so far away and when you do farming you know. Know, you're out you're very often very shielded so talking to talking to other people can become not that natural and we very often make assumptions that the other person actually knows our space where very often you know they have no idea about the space and 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 even more often come from a different speaking background and look at you with blank eyes no one comes to work, I always say, that doesn't want to do a good job. I mean, I haven't seen anyone yet that gets up in the morning and says, Oh, today I want to do a terrible job. Everyone has, has a, has the wish to succeed in what they're doing. And I think if,
0: if you nourish that, then you, you have a really good workforce. What other myths have you come across in your time up here?
1: Um, I, f- I think of farming landscape is uh, changing significantly and the myth is that you know growers and it it remains a myth that hasn't changed the growers are you know exploiting the land rather than caring for it Uh, but i i believe that every grower the same as with with um, employment no grower goes up gets up in the morning and says today i'm exploiting the landscape and i'm you know i'm gonna gonna not do well by by the environment Yes, there's a lots we can learn, lots we can learn, especially because our landscape is so new and, um, and the environment is very new we are working in. And i um, no, no doubt there's lots we can improve, but I believe uh, growers are land carers in their own right. I love the environment. In in the Northern Territory or all over Australia, that's one of the reasons I stayed. I think it's a it's very unique, especially the Northern Ter well every part of Australia, but the Northern Territory, because it's all it's all still new and and it's so adapted to very extreme weather. And so we either have no rain or we have a lot of rain. So there's obviously lots we have to learn, and um and I think that every grower is willing to learn that, because that in the end is will be will be necessary for their bottom line another myth is that um, potentially because we have so much land available still that bigger is better and um, certainly there has been has been proof that that's not the case but um, we have to be very very cautious the way we, we treat our landscape and the way we do farming if it is bigger not necessarily uh, bigger operations have succeeded better than smaller ones. And because it's so new still, uh, we really have to ensure that we, you start slow. So you actually can adopt best practices and
0: adapt to, to the things we don't know because there's a lot we don't know. Fantastic. Thank you for that. It's really valuable insight. So we'll move along now to the realities. And this is also again going to be very interesting because you have the perspective of a grower. And also a consulting industry, so you've you've experienced, I'm guessing, a few realities yourself.
1: Yeah. So realities, um, realities is yes, we are remote. Our access to resources um, is, is sparse. Um, it takes longer. Pest and disease pressures. Reliable workforce again, reliable in, with regards to for the whole industry at a certain period of time to get access to that many people, um, but. Growers are getting smarter and I've, I think reality is that there's a lot of technology out there that uh, can, can help farming smarter, not harder. And we're just, just at the beginning of, I think, a revolution. I think technology will be absolutely crucial for future, for future success of farming business. It doesn't matter of small,
0: small or large, especially if you want to look after our res- resources. Can you talk more about the pest and disease pressure that you mentioned? What is the reality of that situation? 30 years ago, I only can talk from the mango industry. 30 years ago, there were mainly
1: three or four pests known that, well, they were actually an issue. So, so about, um, so 30 years ago, there were really only about three pests, three or four pests that were an issue with, within the mango industry. But that has multiplied. So obviously with um, with intense farming and with a lot of monoculture, which is still the case, and uh, it's a long-lasting crop. It's trees are in the ground for a long time. A lot of trees, some trees are there 30 years old. And with the age of trees, the pest pressure is increasing. Now, we all learned how to deal with that pest pressure better, but obviously limited resources. And uh, we've become very smart as a growing industry to minimize the amount of pest uh, pest and disease deterrence that we put out so disease and pest pressure um, is, is becoming can become an issue and obviously we have less weapons against it so the need for integrated pest management will become will become um, quite big
0: what are the realities when it comes to having a reliable workforce I know you just spoke in myths there is this myth that you know you can't get a workforce and you said you, you can. Uh, just might require a little creativity. So what are the realities of once you get that workforce, keeping them or even finding them in the first place?
1: Well, the the reality is that you have to become very innovative in the way you, you attract your workforce. And, um, I just use an example. We encouraged the refugee employment program and that was such a success. But again, it just requires it as a grower to understand the trauma some of the refugees have come through and to, and to accommodate that. Now, I know that a lot of growers, um, or as a grower, not you sometimes may not have, especially during harvest, not the, the patience to accommodate all that, but you've got a whole year that you can work on that. And I think the refugee program was such a success that, um, some of the refugees found full-time employment after after mango harvest yeah and that's a really nice story
0: that's something i'd definitely love to explore in another episode like all on its own later on it's i've, I've never actually heard of that program before and i think also you know you're talking about the reality of, of where you're looking for a workforce but i think one of the realities, I guess, that would come with that is kind of this paradigm shift of what you think your workforce will look like and where they will come from. I'm sure we all have ideas of who our workforce and where you're going to get them from. And maybe it's about leaving that at the door and realizing that, you know, and being more open to other, other avenues.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, everyone has different needs. And if you accommodate the different needs of the person, then, um, and you understand it, I think you need to understand it and, uh, of, Often we don't have the time as a grower to go into depth saying that's all. I believe that every every grower there is, is really good nature, is good by heart.
0: Well, that reality also sounds to me like a huge opportunity, which will segue us into our third and final section very well, which is opportunities. So what are some of the opportunities that you see for the industry?
1: Well, I think our biggest opportunity is to get it right, we in the northern territory is new new to agriculture and horticulture um we pride ourselves in that it's new we've got um a massive opportunity to be the leader the leader in australia in getting it right uh, we have an opportunity to look at what didn't go well in other jurisdictions and to really ensure that
0: um you know we get the reputation as as the leader in within that area so we're starting from a blank slate and we need to really capitalize on that absolutely and and we haven't we had this it's a massive opportunity um we, we're starting we're new and um, I'm sure we can get it right what are some of the opportunities you see for us to be able to realize that particular opportunity like how can we go about that uh,
1: I think the areas that we really need to look on is, um, is waste reduction. It's the way we use our resources, um, a farm smarter and farm smarter is looking not necessarily, we almost need to look into farm more intense f- on less land and use the resources that we have, uh, smarter. So I give you an example. If you can produce on a hectare, uh, on a hectare of land, um, 30 or 40 tons or say within an apple industry up to 110 tons of um of produce and and in in other circumstances same crop so you see apples um you only have five or six tons of, on the same sort of land well you really need to, but the resources are uh, sorry the um yeah the resources you put in are, are pretty much the same you it almost doesn't make any sense, and I think if we can get that right, and that is across everything, it's across, uh, it's across water usage, it's across the way we we see the environment, it's across uh, our nutrition, um, everything. If we can intensify and still use the same amount
0: we put in when we don't intensify, well, it it's makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. So, if I'm understanding it right, so say you want to double your production, for some people the idea might be like, well, I'll double the amount of land I'm farming and that will double my production. But you're saying, no, keep what you've got and make that land create double production, Correct. you know, just get more from less. When you say waste reduction, is that like waste of the mangoes themselves, like mangoes that aren't making it to someone's kitchen counter or is it other things on the farm
1: well I think again technology there will will be the breakthrough and um, I I am working on especially in the mango forecasting um, space and mango forecasting if you get it right your your waste will be reduced and if you now have this have the volume if you can forecast your volume at a particular time and you know how much you have available and no doubt um, we're produce a lot of mango nationally mangos nationally um then we know where our where our um where our ch- the time frames where our challenges are and where we have to look at different ways of marketing and what we do with our mangoes but again that's the technology side of it and i think there's so much moving in that space um we can reduce we can reduce uh, waste significantly i reckon by up to
0: 20% Wow. Now, speaking of technology, I know you've been working in a space to do with robotics, which is a very cool project. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, there's a couple of projects running. Um, one I'm more involved in than the
1: other one. So mango forecasting is one of them. And mango forecasting is basically at flowering already starting to determine or having a good idea about when and how many, how much volume you be, um, harvesting, uh, three months down the track and that, very likely will be very
0: accurate within the next
1: couple of years. So we're getting it quite close.
0: And so does that, that involves uh, a machine that is actually driving up and down the crop and, and reading it somehow? Yeah, correct. So it, um, it basically counts them, counts the flowering for you.
1: And, you know, the more you count, the more accurate it is. And every grower, most growers have a historic record of what they, what they can produce. And so if you overlay this with what you've produced, previously um you can get can get it quite accurate obviously in three months time lots can happen you know like very often um, the environment or you know the weather doesn't play the role but you have a good idea and then you can base everything on that already for your planning activities and also too you can maximize all your inputs again you know like your fertilizers and everything that's
0: necessary to grow a good crop I would encourage all of our listeners whether you're interested in mangoes or not to just google this this mango forecasting technology because it is very cool. I saw a presentation you gave last year at the at the Mango Roadshow and to see this machine that is basically mapping you know and it, it, it was also being able to tell you where you could start picking first because you you know the crops aren't already at the same time, you know mangoes. So it it was showing that you might start Picking a few mangoes over here and then move over to another side of the, of the property and then come back and forth. And it's not, it's not start at one end and just go up and down. And and, you know, it's very, it was very dynamic and it's a really cool piece of technology. So I encourage everyone to go look it up just because it's fascinating.
1: If you know your crop load too, then you also, um, know your, you know, your, your staff uh, requirement and your transport requirement and everything, you know, flows on from there.
0: And what about the other robotics project that's going on in the mango industry at the moment? Can you share with us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's very exciting too. It's obviously robotic picking. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think once uh, the first few are built, the whole industry will want one. You got us again, got us more start somewhere and it's actually looking already
0: very, very promising. So how many people could that robot potentially replace? I
1: think we're a bit away from,
0: um, replacing people. And I think we'll
1: still be away quite a time, but I think it will substitute. It will just support. So if, for instance, if you, and it's combined with your forecasting. So if you, if you identified an area that's early, early for harvesting with your mango forecasting machine and it's not quite big enough to, Justify moving a whole crew of pickers in there while you have your mango picker going in there and doing that area for you based on your, based on your initial, um, counts. Usually towards the end for every grower during harvest, we have quite challenging rainy conditions. If you want to keep up your quality, but you have areas that still could be picked, but it's not quite profitable, to, again, to send towards the end of harvest, to send crews in, which is quite costly, you could actually use your automated picking machine to to find to get the last bit of crop off that usually
0: drops on the ground. So you, it's waste reduction and keeping up your quality. It sounds like a very again between that and the mango forecasting, two very very cool pieces of technology that will definitely help, like you said, with waste reduction, which I think is an incredible thing, um, but also this workforce challenge. And, and like you said, it's just there to support at this point in time and it's not going to, you know, like you replace your year-round stuff, the people you need to be doing all sorts of things on the farm. But I think the thing that is particularly hard is getting in that seasonal you know, just for pickers for that time. So if, if people are having trouble and they've got a backup, because that's again, coming back to wastage, if you can't find pickers, we've all heard stories of people having to knock over their crops or let them rot because they couldn't find anyone to pick it. So it's just so good to hear that there are going to be other options available. Yep. So before I let you go, I have two questions I'd like to ask you. And the first one is, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned during your time in Northern Australia?
1: Well, I came south and not north. (laughs) So um, being born in Germany and coming to, to the Northern Territory, I actually came south. I know within Australia, we need to ensure that we attract people from other states of Australia. And the lesson I learned is that if you, again, and it's all about workforce motivation, if you have a best farming model it's it's self-attracting. So this is my biggest lesson. I think by being kind and innovative, the lesson
0: I learned is it's not hard to get yourself some workforce. That might actually lead into my final question, which is what is one piece of advice you would give to anyone considering coming up north to start any kind of agricultural venture or perhaps invest in one?
1: Get the right information. Trust your instincts be innovative and respectful towards this amazing opportunity. We live in a very fragile, very adapted environment, and we really need to look into the future and really strive. And I know the younger generation strives strives for that to minimize our environmental footprint and follow best farming practice, which includes the acceptance of First Nations values.